The Meet for TCAS is brought to you in part by SoneLab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for TCAST. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meet for Tea, the Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meet for Tea. Yeah, and I'm graphic designer and web guy and um, the host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. Hello, we're back. We are back. Under the three elephants, again, my fingers smell like salty, salty fish. Smoked salty fish, to be fair. Despite all my best efforts. But anyway, that's a story for another time. But speaking of fish, we're going to take you to the Hebrides of Scotland in this next episode. Yes, what do we have this time? Well, we've got a wonderful audio recording by Scottish voice actor Derek Murray interpreting, I want to say interpreting, not just reading, because he really acts it. It's true. To be absolutely fair, he really takes these texts to a wonderful level. And I wonder which text we're talking about. We are talking about a copiously illustrated chapbook of ours, our second chapbook offering... Was it our third? I think it was our third. It was our third. That's right. And it is Howl of the Lamborghini by Anthony Spaeth. This is the first book in a series which will ultimately contain eight books, the God, the Zig series. I think there's three now and there's a fourth one coming soon. Is that correct? Right. Available from us right now are Howl of the Lamborghini. The God Nail and The Strange Bride. And there's a fourth coming up very soon. What's really cool is he has Derek Murray narrate all of these books as audio versions of them that you can find online as well. So they're very worth Googling. He's a Scottish voiceover actor and also a writer. Google him up. He's got, he writes and edits himself. He's a literary chap. We'll include the links to these audio files in the show notes. So we have, for this podcast, we have a lovely interview conversation with Anthony. Yes. As your introduction to the audio. Yes, we have the audio of the full first book. Howl of the Lamborghini, which I suspect if you have not seen the book and the illustrations are stunning... You're going to want to get your hands on this and flesh out your experience. And you can find these at meetfortea.com and on Amazon and I suspect other places. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's available many other places, but definitely seek it out. Listen to the audio and if you enjoy it, it's... Marta. Sorry, I said Greta. It's Marta Stoska. Yes. She is a self-taught artist who did these stunning illustrations. Actually, all books have insanely beautiful illustrations that go deep. 
These, when you look at them, you will realize are based on a tarot deck. So that's an interesting factoid. Hmm, you know, I actually wasn't aware of that. That's now really that cool. Now that you look at the book again, yeah, you'll see I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to go back and look. What I love about this series so far is that every single book has a different art. And while the artist's styles are very different, there is a really great continuity to them. Cohesiveness. Yeah. Anthony's doing great stuff, and we're really, we're a big fan. We're lucky to have him. So without further ado, I think we should probably move on, right on to this conversation with Anthony and Elizabeth. So stay tuned for that. And then also after that, we will have Derek Murray reading The Howl of the Lambergoon. So stay tuned and enjoy. Hi, Anthony. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Can you hear me all right? Loud and clear. Wonderful. Okay. Let's have a chit chat about anything you want to, but maybe mostly about Gad the Zig. Well, what do you want to know? Okay, so let's talk about Gad the Zig. I assume, gauging from your last name, that you're of Scottish descent, am I correct? Uh, well, I am more Scottish than I am anything else, but my name is German. So uh, my, but my, I've got some McElwainies or something like that are the primary uh, contributors to me. Silly me. I just assumed seeing the books and seeing Spatha. I was like, oh, that's got to be some old Gaelic thing. I, I, you know what? I kind of wish it were, but the truth of the matter is, no. Uh, my mother is, her, some of her family's from all over the place. But when I had my genes tested, which I actually had them tested, I came up more Celt than anything else. But it's only like a quarter. So I'm like a quarter oh, wow. Scandinavian, a quarter German. I, I have not done that yet, but I had some grandparent hobbyist genealogists and i'm a large part scottish as you might be able to tell i got it from your name from yeah. yeah 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 from the old gaelic but, means son of the dark fairy no does it yeah let's talk about gad the zig all right um well i think that the question that you would ask me was where did i get the idea from and and here is a true story uh, or mostly true story I love true about stories. how I got it. Uh, my aunt was over there in Iona. She was on vacation in like a monastery or a, an abbey in on this island cool. off the coast of Scotland. And she sent me a postcard, and it was from the Hebrides. It was like, listen, I am in the Hebrides, mm -hmm. and only I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I pronounced it Hebrides. And I thought, what a cool word, Hebrides. <laughs> so the very first thing that I got, uh, uh, the idea for, for the setting of this story was wrong. The, the very first thing was a mispronunciation. From the Hebrides, the Hebrides. So that's, that's really, really cool. So you located the Gad the Zig's books in the Hebrides. And the mythology of Gad and of the Lambergoon, did you draw on some other old Scottish mythology or pull this from your imagination? It's a combination of a bunch of things, but certainly there are elements of the loathly lady, the, the traditional story of, I think it's the, the, uh, the clan, is it? It may be, it may be the, the McClays, uh, the clan McClay or the McNeils, the story of how the McNeils and, uh, were founded by this son who went out into the forest and found a, uh, an, uh, an old woman who he kissed and turned into a beautiful woman and that that's the, the foundational myth of the whole series is that but also uh, you know because you and i have talked about it before that 
there's a lot of Beowulf in the first book. And the first book really was. I was sensing a lot of Beowulf. The Lamborghini reminds me of Beowulf's mother. Yeah, or Grendel. Well, not or Beowulf's whoever. mother, but Grendel's mother. Yeah. Grendel's mother. Right. Very much. Even the physical description. I just thought of her as, as, as like Grendel, but also like John Gardner's Grendel where you are inverting who the actual villain of the story is for not to spoil the ending or anything, but uh, it turns out that the, uh, the Grindel is not the bad guy in that story. I need, you know, I still have yet to read that. I, I read the original Beowulf and in some early old English translation in the old English in college. I've been curious about John Gardner's book, but have not gotten to it. You should read it. It may be a bit dated by now, but also the uh, the other version of Beowulf that is referenced a little bit in my work is, is Seamus Heaney's version of Beowulf when he translated it from Old English or whatever was written it into modern day English. And he does the reading himself. It's, uh, you know, it makes you appreciate how great he was. Not that there's not a lot of other reasons to do it, but to take someone else's work and to turn it into your own work and have it be as beautiful as that turned out is really cool. Yeah, and you know, I've not read that work of Heaney's, but I've read a bunch of his other books of poetry. And I was fortunate enough to actually hear him read and speak at UMass probably about 20 years ago. And it was pretty amazing just to be in the presence wow. of, of such a such a literary great. He would have been winning the yeah. Nobel Prize like right as you met him. Yes, yes. Well, you know, the, the, that, that program got some pretty fancy people to come talk from time to time, and he was one of them. So back to Gad the Zig. I'm so excited that our listeners are going to be able to hear Howl of the Lambergoon because it's an amazing, suspenseful story. You told us about the ideas upon which... The Lamborghini was based, but what about Gad? Well, Gad is an invention. Yeah, Gad with a nail in his heart uh, is an invention of mine. And am I saying it is nail? Because sometimes I thought I'd have to use some sort of a Scottish like Nile or something to get it properly said. It's a nail. The Gad nail is a nail, not like the name Neil. Good. That makes it easier for, for this American person. (laughs) <laughs> well, um, so you're, let's see, you wanted to know about his origin or what, what about, what about, I came up with him, but he's the observer in the story. Um, so not the principal yes. actor in the, in, in two, three, four and five as they're coming out, just the person that is there to, to see and comment on and, and um, reflect the, the things that are learned by the other characters. So he, he's, he's almost like a narrator. In fact, I do think of him sometimes as the narrator. Yeah, I love that approach to telling a story. I like letting us see it through the eyes of a of a more passive character. Well, that's him. So, so uh, you. But I wanted to say this because you said, "Hey, you're going to look at or you're going to listen to this uh, the the narrated version of this, which is done by this guy Derek Murray." So the project is really international. Like the illustrator's Polish. Marta illustrated the first book. Marta Stabska. And then it was recorded by Derek Murray. Stunning, stunning illustrations. 
amazing. Like you can't believe how talented people are. And she was getting into graduate school in a linguistics pol- uh, program in Poland. Now she works for McKinsey and Company, but uh, she was in graduate school, no formal artistic training, and I, I don't know how I got her. I got I felt so fortunate once I'd worked with her for about thirty or forty five days. I realized how great she was and how dedicated she was to getting things perfect. Um, and then to have Derek Murray, the Scottish guy who is also a writer. He's a voice actor and he was on the BBC and all that stuff, but he is a breathtakingly gifted voice actor. So you just, the first book had these two people that we've never seen, I've never seen you face to face, three people uh, that are involved in the publication that I've never met. And all of them turned out to be great at what the thing that they were doing. And none of them was ever, no one knows who they are. And yet they, Marta's brilliant. So so a plug for Marta. Oh, absolutely. And thank you, Derek, too. That his, his reading is perfect. It is perfect. But, but what people don't know or might not appreciate about what he did was he also took the text and he and I were, were, uh, were sending it back and forth. He, because he is a writer as well as being a voice actor, was commenting on the, um, the, the text and saying, you know what, this might be improved. And maybe you don't see it as much in How Lambagoon as you do in The Gadnail or in particular The Strange Bride. He had these editorial contributions to that piece that were that changed it a great deal and made it a whole lot better because he understands writing. Uh, not He doesn't just sit down and say, you know, here are my lines. I'm going to read them. He talks to you about them. And he th- says, well, you know what? This could be a little bit better. Or did you think about that? And in that process made the third book in the series. Uh, I mean, his contributions are felt all over that book. That's so cool. So he almost operated in, in an editorial capacity as well as you and him. a voice actor. You and him, but he definitely had, uh, he has a role that's unrecognized, which is you know, I, I had an ending in there and it wasn't quite working. And, uh, and there, some of the rhymes were not working in his Scottish brogue. And so he told me, hey, this is just not working for me that much, you know. And I think he was on vacation in the Greek Isles or something. He said, I'm going to come back in three weeks. Uh, why don't you just take this back? And I'm not going to charge you for what I've done so far. I'll, uh, I, and then think about these points and then I'll record it when I get back. And that's what he did. So he's a generous person, as is Marta, as is Ollie, the, the illustrator of the second book, or Nico, the illustrator of the third book. And it's it's uh, the people that you meet. On the internet, the promise of the internet was that that we were going to be able to create things artistically across long distances with people we'd never seen. And in this case, that really turned out to be true, although there was a lot of work and a lot of misses, kissed a lot of frogs. But it all came together in a pretty tidy convergence, I would say. I feel like it did. And I feel like the, the fourth book, which is the book that comes out probably in August of this year, which is called Mr. Fingal, um, it, I love the cover. Oh, man. And that Nico is just so amazing. Like, Nico, you just turn loose. You say, hey, Nico, I have an idea of, I want, uh, it sounds so silly because it's a children's book and your audience is probably mostly reading for adults, but, you know, a wizard with a burning finger. And and you don't say anything other than that to Nico. And that comes back two weeks later. Uh, he just uh, invests himself in, in the project and, in the way that all of the illustrators did, but he, you know, he, you just don't say anything to him. Just leave him to do what he is good at doing and don't interfere with it. 
Anthony, will you excuse me one second? I have to give my dough some fault. You're good. You're good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away and go get a drink. All right. You do that and I'll be right back. Hello. Hey. So are those the sourdough loaves? Yeah. I, I use um, a method from tartine bread where um, you don't need ever, but you do folds every half hour. You lift it up and fold it over on itself a few times. Well, I've seen some of your other projects and saw you reading your recipes online, I remember. Uh. Oh, my my, <laughs> my baking notes. Uh, the, you know, that was the funniest thing to do in performance. I had musical accompaniment behind me, and it made it sound so foreboding and I didn't experience it that way. I didn't think of it that way. I thought it was just like bizarre, but intriguing. Yeah. I actually had some people come up to me after my reading and be like, well, that was intense. I'm like, you know, it was just my dough notes for when to do folds. So like, really? I think you tested me on it. You're like, what was I doing? And I was like, I don't really know, but it was involved cooking. Cause you had, you had time, you had times in there. As I recall. I had times. And then I gave it away sometimes. Cause I'd say semolina loaf or country rye so then one time i mentioned something about the chrome and asked if overproofed so you know there there were clues so uh the the illustrator who did mr fingal is the same artist you had for this strange bride is that that's right? right so book four and book three i was really ambivalent about I'm using the same illustrator for more than one book because all of the other books have changed uh, each time. But I will say this, Nico is just a professional, you know, he, he, you give him something and then he gives you nine uh, models and, and uh, which do you like? And then you, you say, well, I like number seven. And then you just stay out of his way and he's done. So he's just so, easy to work with. I don't know if you've looked at uh, Nico's other work, work because Nico was very reluctant or very um, concerned that some of his other work, which is much racier, would interfere with the appreciation of a children's book. So he was, I, I got him because um, I put an ad out there for someone who liked the old Zap comics. I don't even know if y'all know who that is. but I do. I, I was one of those, I, I, I collected I mean, I still have a pretty good collection of comics, but I certainly... That's your retirement fund right there. I mean, they just sold, what, R. Crumb's notebook sold for a villa in France. So uh, if you've got the old ones that they are, I mean, they were hit and miss, right? And they were probably really outdated. And some of the things that we might say about them now, we wouldn't write those comics now. And yet they were um, for the people that they were so avant-garde for the people. That sounds silly about a comic, but they really were, you know, they were... They really were years groundbreaking. Yeah. So I got Nico because I said, I want someone who can draw like Zap Comics. And he did draw me a couple of drawings like Zap Comics. And then he moved away from that. Cool. Because it didn't really work for this. But that's how we met. And if you look at his website, he's got a bunch of Zap Comics and uh, like people with that are melting and, you know, the old uh, whatever the tropes are from the 70s and 60s. Most of which were... Um LSD drug yeah. drug derived. Exactly. Yeah. This this is what the experience of that looks like in, in cartoons. Exactly, style. exactly. So what I the person I haven't talked about, if I can say something because I don't want her to feel left out, is Ollie. Uh, because Ollie's the illustrator of the Gadniel in the second 
second yes. book. And, and I think that maybe in, in a technical, Ali is formally trained. Um, and she did her master's degree or something like that. And she illustrated a bunch of Tolkien's poems, <laughs> like the, the Farmer Giles of Ham and all that, you know? Uh, That's so fitting. It is. And, and, uh, and she is, um, she has her own comics and all this, this, she is, if you say anything to Ollie, she's funny because she's kind of like her drawings. If you say anything to her, she don't want to hear it. Uh, but if you just don't say anything at all to her, what you get back is something that really understands where you are coming from as a writer. So all of these people have been really easy to work with and really interesting to work with in their own way. And Ollie is honestly, the truth of the matter is I think that she would say this. She's the prickliest of the three, but she's also the one who hmm. invests her entire self in the drawing so that I have her drawings up on my kids' walls here, and they are actual works of art. When you look at it, wow. done in pen on my kids' walls for a ridiculously small sum that I paid her. Uh, are these these pin drawings that are very precise and have, if you look at her drawings, the details in the background, she was spending days and days and days working on these things because that's what she does. She just sits in a, my impression is that she, um, she sits in a room for 14 hours a day and draws, and that's all she does. And she doesn't care what you have to say about it. And she doesn't really want you to say anything about it, which is cool in itself, too. Uh, she's confident in, in the things that she does. And so the, her drawings, I think, if you look at them, are really the funniest drawings. You just have to look at them really close and, and see all the details that Ollie was thinking about as she drew those uh, the, the pictures. And so, so uh, I, I don't want to leave her out of this because she's... No. She's... Uh, a breathtaking person and a fascinating, an artist who probably ought to be, um, we ought to all know her name, but we, we probably won't get that chance. You, you mentioned that these are children's books, but I, I tend to feel that they are applicable to a broader audience than just children, don't you? Well, I, I hope that that's the truth uh, about them. And as I wrote them, I was thinking, I will use a complicated vocabulary because my children are precocious and they'll understand it. And my audience was my now 13 year old and now 12 year old and to a lesser extent, my seven year old. So I was thinking these kids will understand. And if they don't understand, they'll simply look the words up. Uh, but, right. But uh, I was also trying to make myself happy with them. And if I sacrifice language, that is, I made something a little bit easier to understand, or I used the, um, the short word instead of the accurate word, it made me less pleased with the piece at the end of the day. So um, I, I think that I, I've had reactions from kids as young as like four and five. And then I've had reactions from people that are old farts like me and I'm old, almost 50 years old. So um, it, I hope that it is, a, that it is broadly appealing, but I think that it's only appealing to people who are interested in language and, and alliteration and consonants and, rhyme and all of those things and that's a that's a that's you and me uh, and your listeners maybe <laughs> i mean it's a small audience yeah I, I optimistically i like to think the audience might be bigger than that i like to think a lot of people care about the dynamics of language deeply but i i might just be well i don't think you're i think the most interesting people care about it uh it's just not a widely held 
uh, or it's not widely important, but the people that do care about it care about it a great deal. So. They certainly do. Yeah, because I can see people of any age. Yes, they're illustrated, but they're, the storyline is sophisticated. There's layers to what's going on. You know, there's, there's they're more complex. It's it's not like reading, not to um, put them down, but it's not like reading Doctor Seuss. No, it's there's, there's it's not. But the illustrations are they kind of uh, if even in Doctor Seuss there are things going on in the background illustrations that are not represented in the text, and that's Theodore Geisel doing both of those things. Oh, oh yeah, he was he was a bit of a wild. But man. I want can I tell a story about you because I want to. As long as I'm given a forum, you can always edit it out. Um, oh, but, yeah. Do whatever you like. But, uh, so when this book, when Marta and I were done, and I don't know if you know this, but Howl of the Lambergoon, if you look through it, the illustrations actually refer to tarot cards. So we had all this, we had thought about this, and we spent hours and days and days and talking about this and the back cover. Uh, yeah, see? Sure. Look at it. The back cover is the strength card from the tarot deck doesn't mean anything. Sure. we're not trying to invest it with anything but we had spent so much time thinking about this book and talking about the scenes and thinking about the language and we had sent that book to probably 70 agents as a complete piece of art like done uh everything that was written all the pictures were there it was a much more complete piece than most people see for an illustrated work and We'd send it to like 70 agents and we'd send it to every publisher that we could think of that would accept people that didn't have an agent. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this quite well. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell this part of it. Um, I, I sent that manuscript off to you on a Saturday morning and said, Hey, would you be interested in this? And I was feeling horrible. Like I was feeling rejected uh, because we had seen oh. so many, we had, we had worked so hard on it and we both felt like it was really good. And it shows it. Well, you responded that Saturday morning and I'm not even talking about like three hours later. You said, yep, we'll do it. And we had been waiting for that. We had been waiting for that text message or email or call or whatever for almost a year at that stage. So, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, you made those two people that, that were really working hard on art, on our respective arts, writing and, and illustration, you made those people feel like, oh, gosh, there is an audience out there that will appreciate the work that we're doing and does appreciate the work that we're doing. And that's also true of your magazine. So I don't mean to blow smoke up your ass all night long, only, <laughs> only to say that, that it is important and that 14 years is an amazing run for a literary magazine and don't ever give it up. I don't care what, I don't care what the finances look like and I don't care what other people say. Oh, thanks so much for yeah. that. And um, yeah, well, I guess we know a good thing when it comes by our desk. You sure do. Now our audience on this podcast is getting ready to listen to Howl the Lamborghini. And I, I have a feeling that what our conversation has been doing, and I think it's a good thing, is it's going to make them think that they're going to want to do more than just listen. They're going to want to get their hands on a copy so they can see what you're describing with these um, breathtaking tarot-inspired illustrations. Let's hope. Let's hope that they have that experience. 
because they're listening to it is great, but I think they're going to want to hold it in their hands. And it's also, I, I've read it out loud to a couple of grandchildren, and then you saw my then, she's 11 now, 10-year-old granddaughter, Una, paging through and listening to the recording for the Gad Nail, and then her later Goodreads review that she wrote all by herself. Go to Goodreads, leave a review. It's a pretty good review, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, pretty solid. Drawing a line at what ages would find it too scary. Well, then before <laughs> Derek gets on, and and I think that everybody should listen to Derek and not me, but before Derek gets on, I will say that I have some friends, the Willises, and they're, um, the, they have a young child. They have two young kids, but they have a young child who's old enough to listen to and read this book. And the mother was an opera singer, and she's her name. And she was a, an opera singer, and she loves to perform. And so she gets in there, and when she reads this book to her child, whose name is Max, when she reads her, the book to Max, she's investing herself in it. Like she's performing the piece just as Derek is performing the piece, only she's got the illustrations to help the kid understand what's going on. And oh, wow. according to them, according to them, um, that Max, you know, has had this thing read to him a hundred times. Now they are my close friends; they may be lying, but the the idea of this book, the idea that Derek expresses very well, is that it be performed for the kid, so that you are both a part of it. You're not just simply reading it and trying to get to bed. You are doing something for them that shows them how uh, how fun it is to act in front of other people. At least that's my idea. I oh yeah, I, I think that's that's the way all. Of- all good books should be read out loud. I think I performed everything, um, even falling into weird, probably terrible British accents, reading the Chronicles <laughs> of Narnia out loud to the kids. But it just, it just felt like the thing to do. <laughs> okay, Anthony, I'm going to call this good. Thanks for this. Bye-bye. Great talking to you. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. Howl of the Lambergoon by Anthony Spaeth. Read by Derek Murray. Chapter 1. The Forest Run. In the Hebrides, in the olden days, when Flatnose ruled the sea, a servant boy called Gad the Zig gathered clams by Loch Bui. He'd a pony with him. A Shetland he'd named Lull, and she walked beside him to the sea, where it washed the Isle of Mull. They combed the beach all morning, then paused to sift their sack. Stay close now, Lully girl, called Gad. It's almost time we headed back. The shadows grew beneath them. The wind turned out to sea. The sun fell down the sky to where the boiling waves must be. Gad harnessed Lull again and turned her toward his master's home. He led her in the shallows to hide their footprints in the foam. They came upon a narrow beach there, a place called Fenodri's Dune, and that's where Gad first saw it, the fork-tongue Lambergoon. The creature had six crooked legs, its nostrils bled with slime. Its eyes shone like two silver plates, its scales were dark as wine. As they watched, it glimpsed the moon and spread its jaws out wide, 
Its howl was like the winter wind. Ari, Ari! it cried. Lull's withers twitched with fear, and both her ears were bent. We'll take the forest path, Gad whispered. It surely smelt our scent. The woods grew near the shore there. He pulled Lull toward the trail. Her hooves sank in the loamy soil, while nettles grasped her tail. The forest night was filled with warnings. Owls hooted in their hollows. The crossbills sang out, Chirk, 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 while toads croaked in their wallows. The woodland path grew darker, but they found nowhere to hide. They heard the lambergoon behind them howling. Arie, arie, it cried. And then, in an ambush by the trail, they spied a ring-tailed tom. The wily cat lurked in the shadows, watching, deadly calm. Though the forest cat was old and fierce, Gat dashed on down the track. It's not me you're running from, he screamed. The Lamborghini is back. After a few more strides, Gad felt the sand beneath his feet. The branches parted overhead, and he saw his master's keep. And bless him, bless him, the old man was standing at his door. He'd got his walking stick above his head. He waved it, and he swore. Run, you fool, the master shouted. The beast is in the wood. Leave the nag behind, Jughead, or be the demon's food. The forest's branches shuddered. The lambergoon sprang into the light. Its teeth were wide and gnashing. Its eyes were burning bright. Lull whinnied at the smell, at the sound, at the lambergoon now right behind. She skittered on her rope. She threw her head and whined. Gad could not bear to look again. Better not to know if he'd be swallowed. He swatted the pony on her flank. She bolted and he followed. As they passed the master, the old man stood to his full height. He tapped his toe three times, and his cane burst into light. A giant glowing eye gushed from the staff and hung there in midair. The Lamborghini stopped short of it, trapped just beyond its stare. The iris of the eye pulsed red and whirled like rope around a drum, then sucked back into the walking stick and returned where it was from. The master faced the growling beast as the last trails of his spell withdrew. Bring down that door, he hissed, before it knows I'm through. Gad turned the gate's pegged wheel as the old man stepped inside. The door clinked down at the master's feet. Now blow that torch, he cried. Gad obeyed his master as he must, snuffing out the only light. But then he leaned towards the bars, clicked his tongue, and whispered, No zig for you tonight. The goon's head swung toward the gate, searching the darkness for Gad's face. Its gaze was icy and hypnotic. It froze the zig in place. Slowly, it crept closer. Inch by winding inch, Gad felt its living heat and smelt its rotten stench. When at last it reached the bars, it forced its snout inside, and leaning close to Gad, it spoke. Time will test your pride. Chapter 2 A Messenger from the Pharaohs Some called the master Hunga Tree, 
meaning one, two, three, for he tripled every measure, no matter what it be. Master Hoon knew several spells, and some fair alchemy, but what people came to him for most they called his amnesty. To drink the potion was to forget and fall into a swoon. When the one who'd drunk woke up again, the world felt bright as noon. Business was so brisk, Hoon hid. He disguised his keep like rocks. Not every customer could find his gate. Fewer still could work the locks. But in the month of Hayanir, five days before the summer's end, a sail appeared upon the sea and beat against the wind. The skiff wove through shoreline rocks, darting like a sparrow. The captain tacked and then switched back. The way was hard and narrow. When the pilot finally came into view, wasn't Hoon surprised? He nearly dropped his looking-glass and rubbed his roomy eyes. The helmsman was an island girl, with hair like a fiery brand. She turned her rudder toward the shore, grounding her ship on sand. The woman seemed to know the rock she headed for. She walked straight to Hoon's hideout, like a sign was hanging on the door. The old man raced down his steps and slid into his lab. By the time the visitor raised his gate, he was grinding baobab. Hoon glanced up at his visitor, asking, What memory do you want to free? But the woman cut him off quite curtly. The king himself sent me. Call me odd, she told him. I've brought a message from the pharaohs. The Lambergoon is running wild there. It's killed a jarl and all his fellows. The islander took out a purse and counted out six pence. This is to get rid of it, she said, including travel and ingredients. But Master Hoon was known to haggle. Some thought him over-shrewd. It would cost her a gold bar, he dickered, plus three pence for his food. With the bargain struck, Hoon rushed around, gathering all his things, his spare robe and his pillow, his willow wand and rings. He packed the bogwood boxes filled with his apothecary, plus his granite grinding stones and his glowing brambleberry. Meanwhile, Gad stowed the spyglass and the bowl with snakes for handles, plus the fragile glass alembic and three whale blubber candles. He even took the carpet from right beneath their boots and cinched it tight to Lully's back beside some bundled roots. By the time they left the tower, all four were packed and stooped and pointed toward her tiny ship where its tattered sail now drooped. But Hoon stopped there on the beach and laid his carpet on the sand. When he waved his wand and counted three, it rose to meet his hand. The wizard gestured towards the tapestry and looking rather smug said, You'll have to leave your skiff, lass. I only go by rug. So they took their seats and flew with the stars and moon alight. Hoon, Odd, Lull and Gad, whistling toward the pharaohs and the Lambergoon in the cool late summer's night. Chapter 3 The King in His Shattered Hall From the sky, the pharaohs looked like nothing more than grass and sheep. The mountains were all bald on top, snow-crowned and very steep. When Hoon set his carpet down beside the king's great hall, they found the village smashed to bits. The goon had breached the wall. 
The king inside looked broken too, sagging on his throne. His men-at-arms had all deserted, the berserkers too had flown. But Odd approached King Flatnose and gave his sleeve a pull. Father, I found the wizard for you, the counting mage of Mull. The king's eyes rolled toward the magician. He was deeply in his cups. He slammed his fist and then he slurred, Kill that beast and all her pups! Just then, the Lambergoon let out a howl that shook the battered hall. Flatnose staggered to the window and swept his drapes back to the wall. He pointed toward Mount Loki, where the beast brayed at the dawn. For seven years the creatures slept, seven years of calm. But Jarl Kraki, Jarl Kraki, the great prince of the Geats, showed up with his golden targ in search of daring feats. And now I'm king of no one. My armies fled the field. Kraki woke the goons and ruined me. Curse Kraki and his shield. Odd held a finger to her lips and glanced aside at Hoon. The magician got his kettles out and his silver mixing spoon. He crushed three raven's bills and swirled three curds with ambergris, then dripped three drops of fresh dew on the crop stones from three geese. Hoon brewed the mash in his alembic till it gave an orange light. He held the glass aloft and swirled to check the mix was right. Finally, the wizard poured a dose of his famously forgetful draught. Flatnose took the flask and guzzled it, fell to the ground and laughed. The wizard waited till the king was snoring, then made his way around the hall, examining the hundred trophies that were hanging on the wall. There was a polished narwhal's tusk and a wrinkled walrus pelt, an old bear's padded paws and a glinting shark-tooth belt. Also, seven sealskins and the bills of six sawfish, a tortoiseshell big as a boat, each scale like a crockery dish. Among the trophies, Hoon stopped at one, a claw both thick and dire. He touched its gleaming tip and asked, If she's pups, then where's the sire? Odd knelt beside her father, then, weeping, dipped her head. Jarl Kraki killed the bull, she whispered, but now that hero's dead. Hoon pulled down the fearsome claw and snapped it from its plaque. He handed the nail to Gad, saying, Get your saddle and your pack. The four of them left Flatnose dozing and headed for Mount Loki. As Hoon's rug rose, the she-goon howled. She moaned, Arri! Arri! Chapter 4 Den of the Beast By the time they reached Loki's tip, the Lambergoon had disappeared. Hoon set his magic carpet down and stroked his ragged beard. He picked a path along the ridge, searching the rocky walls. The way was steep and perilous, with loose scree and dead falls. Lull stopped short. She knew the scent, the reeking of the dead. They found a cave's mouth stained with blood where the Lambergoon had fed. Hoon puzzled at the entrance, too low for him to stand, then knelt as if to crawl inside. Gad stayed him with his hand. The master pursed his lips and squinted, and perhaps he even cursed, but passed Gad his glowing berry, giving him this warning first. Be mindful of the goon, Zig. The beast's heart is likely sick. 
Careful with that mouth of yours and with the words you pick. Hoon drew a dose of amnesty and pressed it in Gad's palm. The Zig turned his pony's neck while he cooed to keep her calm. But Odd was first to enter. She pressed her way past Hoon, dropped to her knees and led the way toward the widowed Lambergoon. The cavern wound and twisted, skirting ink-black pools. They picked their way among the dripstones, shaped like ghasts and ghouls. Until at last they saw a flicker at the mountain's very core. Gad pointed toward the faint light there and soon made out a door. The passage opened to a den, where the goon lay on her side. Her brood sprawled around her. Some suckled and some cried. Her bright eyes shone on Gad. Her forked tongue flicked its course. I've smelt you before, she lisped. The slave who wouldn't leave the horse. Then she turned her gaze to Odd. Oh, and you brought the princess too. I've a message for your father, girl. Tell him I'm not half through. Gad did not trust himself to speak, but still took the talon from his pack. He held it up where she could see the Lambergoon reeled back. You've come here to show me this, she shrieked. You're more foolish than you look, more brainless than that imbecile, the Jarl whose shield I took. The monster pointed toward the wall, where Cracky's buckler hung. Perhaps you'd like to join him, she invited. I've a spot there for your tongue. We're, we're not here to show it, stuttered Gad, with his hands shaking. We've brought it back to you to end the trophy-taking. He raised the vial the hoon had given and uncorked the bale of cotton. This is old hoon's amnesty, he said. Drink and pain's forgotten. The Lambergoon craned her neck, sniffing at the potion. She closed her eyes and slowly smiled. How soothing is the notion! But then she eyed her heartmate's talon and raked her claws across the ceiling. Gad watched as the sparks dropped, the very stone was peeling. Put your medicine away, the goon snarled. Memories of my mate befit him. They cost me dear to keep, that's true, but it's still worse to forget him. But the goon's eyes slowly turned toward her squirming, mewling litter. Enough of pride and war and death, she muttered. The more vengeance, the more bitter. I'll strike a truce with Flatnose when he calls Mount Loki mine. He must plant a sign upon its slope and warn his people not to climb. Gad thought of Flatnose sleeping, having drunk away his memory. They hadn't the right to bind the king, but who was there to disagree? Odd stepped forward, saying, I'm here in Flatnose's place. My father's war with you is done, the mountain's yours down to its base. The princess raised her hand in pledge and made an oath upon her life. The beast took down the shield and vowed, so we end the strife. But as the goon returned her trophy, she sobbed once, then recovered. Please, Zig, bury my lover's nail, where it can never be discovered. Gad took the golden shield 
and swore it would be so. He bowed once to the beast, then left her to her woe. So, children, the truce was made, and it's held until today. The goons kept to her cave, though her broods all swum away. And Princess Odd, who struck the deal, also kept her solemn word. She hammered in the sign herself, for the Lambergoon reserved. But where's the claw, you beg to know? I can tell you this, and this is true. Gad kept its resting place a secret, as forgotten as Hoon's brew. But if one day you reach the pharaohs, and there you visit Cracky's tomb, remember the zig who dug his grave, and howl for the Lambergoon. Howl of the Lambergoon by Anthony Spaeth, with illustrations by Marta Stavska. The End This was Howl of the Lambergoon, published by MFT Press, written by Anthony Spaeth, and read by Derek Murray. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Sewn Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth, Meat for Tea on Instagram and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.